Today's scripture reading is found in 1 Samuel chapter 28. Take a moment to turn to the text in your Bible, and the reading will also be on the screen. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, Very well, you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off all the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are waiting against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and night. And the woman came to Saul 
And when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it, and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thanks, Vivian. You can be seated. Well, good morning, faith family. Glad that you are here uh, with us, especially if you are new. I want to welcome you. This is what we do here at the Parks Church. We preach through books of the Bible, and uh, we're making our way through uh, first and uh, soon to be second Second Samuel. Um, I told you last week <laughs> that things were going to get a little more strange as we marched to the end of First Samuel, uh, and here we are nearing the end of it. Uh, chapter 28, uh, let's, we're just going to walk through it the best we can and allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak to us. Um, the first two verses in this chapter describe David. Describe David and the situation that he finds himself in. And if you weren't with us last week, David has now been exiled out of Israel. He is now, the, the wilderness season or the wilderness time, anywhere from five to seven years, is now up. He is now in the area of the Philistines. And he, which is a pagan nation, right? Goliath was a Philistine, and now David has essentially found his home with the Philistines. And not only has he found his home with the Philistines, he's actually found favor with Achish, the king of the Philistines. I mean, this is just a crazy scene. And, and in chapter 27, uh, as I explained it, it is a complicated chapter in many ways. One, because God's name is not mentioned in chapter 27 at all. David in chapter 27, it appears to, to Achish, the Philistine king, that he's going and he's defeating his own people, which is not taking place. And David is using this kind of cunning to uh, uh, portray to the king that he is pro-Philistine, if you will, which David is absolutely not. And so we see David in this very complex, this very difficult situation in a pagan land. In that situation, verses 1 and 2 in this chapter tells us, gets more complicated. I mean, did, did, you, did you pick up that? No, you're probably confused by the medium and the witch. But let's talk about the first two verses just for a second. It says, in those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war. Guess against who? Israel. And David is living there with the Philistines. And so Achish, the king of the Philistines, says to David, hey, we understand where you fall, right? Based upon who you've been battling, which he hasn't been battling them, by the way. And so he's like, I want you to go out to battle with us, David. So David is in this complex, difficult spot, realizing that he's about to be really found out, if you will, with Achish. And David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. What does David mean there? You're about to find out what I can do, Achish. Again, David is not pro-Philistine. He's not warring against God's people. He's not warring against Israel in any way. 
but he's still using cunning in a complex situation going, Achish, you'll find out what I can do. And here's what Achish says to him. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. That's at the end of verse two. So Achish says, he's assuming that David is going to go to war with the Philistines against the Israelites. And Achish is like, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna up the ante here. You're going to be my bodyguard for life. Now here's what's interesting about that last little phrase, my bodyguard for life. The word bodyguard in the Hebrew literally translates like this. David, you will guard my head for life. Now, I don't know if the author's just being kind of like, you see the irony here? That the Philistine king has just handed over power to David to guard his head? Remember the tall Philistine? Yeah. Seems like an odd scene. And then verse 3. This pivot, like it, the author, I, I love the way the scriptures do this, holds us in tension there until chapter 29. So hold that thought. In verse three, introduces Saul. Saul back into the scene. And really what I want you to get from, from really the next chapters as we go forward in this week are the two perspectives on how these two men walk into very complex situations completely differently. Saul is going to find himself in a complex situation here in chapter 28, is he not? And so let's unpack Saul's way of handling complexity as opposed to David. And so verse 3 actually starts out pretty good, doesn't it? It says when Samuel had, had died, which we'd already read about and we'd already talked about, it said Saul, at the end, Saul had put out the mediums and the necromancers of the land. What are necromancers? Necromancers are essentially people who would, who would talk with the dead. It was believed that they could, could communicate with the dead. And Saul had done the right thing. He put them out of Israel. He had, he had removed them from the land. In verse 5, when Saul saw the armies, so Saul saw the armies of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. So the author is giving us a little bit of insight here to say, listen, Saul had done the right thing prior. He had removed the mediums. He had put the necromancers outside. He had obeyed God in doing that. However, now there was a problem, problem number one. Saul sees the Philistines that we just talked about with Achish and David. He sees them mounting up to wage war against Israel. And what does it say when Saul saw them with his eyes? And this is an important theme that we've seen throughout 1 Samuel. When Saul sees something with his eyes, he becomes fearful. He becomes afraid, and it literally says that his heart within him begins to tremble. Saul never sees with the eyes of the Spirit. Saul always sees with his physical eyes first and foremost. But he tries to get there with the Spirit. Look at this. He tries to get there with the Spirit, doesn't he? Verse 6, And when Saul inquired of the Lord... The Lord did not answer him. So once again, we're seeing Saul here do the right things. He put out the mediums. He put out the necromancers. Now he sees the Philistines coming. This should give us a little bit of an insight, him seeing, him fearing the wrong thing. But he goes to the Lord. Right move, Saul. He inquires of the Lord. However, Saul believes that the Philistines are his biggest problem. 
What's just revealed in this verse is that the Philistines are not Saul's biggest problem at all. Saul's biggest problem is this, that he is disconnected from the Lord. He inquired of God, but the Lord did not answer him. That is Saul's biggest problem, not the Philistines. But guess what Saul believes? What's my biggest problem? This mounting army, this thing that my eyes see, not that the Lord has not answered him. And so Saul tries all of the ways to seek the Lord. He uses uh, these two stones, the Urim there that, that she read about. That was two stones. The Urim was two stones, the, the Thummim and the Urim. And uh, they essentially on one side would say yes, on the other side of the stone would say no. And there were two of them, right? And so they would go to the priests and, and they would have them cast these stones down to discern the will of God, right? And so if it landed yes, yes, that's positive, right? The, if they landed no, no, then don't go there, right? So it appears that Saul sought this channel, right? This correct channel of these stones being thrown down. And guess what happened? Over and over and over. Yes, no. Yes, no. Yes, no. And Saul's like, what am I supposed to do? I'm not seeing anything in dreams. The prophets of God aren't telling me. These stones aren't saying anything. What am I going to do? You see, Saul is constantly talking about God. You see it all over 1 Samuel. He's even inquiring of the Lord. However, what we must realize that every time Saul is doing this, his life is actually still out of step with God. Saul is not looking for God and inquiring of God. What Saul is looking for above all else is for God to affirm him. He's looking for God to give him the future. God, is my worst fears gonna happen? God, what's the next chapter gonna look like? God, are the Philistines going to win? Is David with them? It goes on and goes on and goes on. God, Saul is not inquiring of the Lord with a pure heart. Now, let me pause here and talk about this idea of waiting on God. Because what should have Saul done? How should have Saul responded when the Lord was not? And we're going to talk ultimately how Saul responded at the end. But what should have Saul done? The answer to that is continue to wait on the Lord. Remember last week, we talked about what does it look like to live a life of faith? It means trusting in God, that his way and his timing are perfect to fulfill his promises. This is something consistent in Saul's life that he does not do. And I would venture a guess, if you're like me, waiting on God is one of the areas in which we struggle most. When we've sought the Lord, when we've asked him, when we're asking him for an answer to our question, to resolve to an issue, hearing his voice that doesn't come is one of the most frustrating things potentially in the spiritual life. But what Saul begins to do when not hearing the Lord is not to patiently wait or continue to wait. Saul begins to manufacture a spiritual experience to hear from a supernatural being in his timing and in his way. Saul wants an answer and he wants it now. You see, many times we are guilty of trying to experience God in the same way Saul is going to do. 
by trying to manufacture an experience or read into something that isn't from God at all. And in those moments, there's this lack of discernment that I don't think we realize that, that those experiences, those things that happen in our lives might or might not be from God. You see, church, what we must do are hold those experiences loosely. And what we must hold tightly is our submission to God's word, to his counsel, to his way. Listen, if there's one thing that Saul knew, what he knew that he shouldn't do, it was to go to a medium and a necromancer. He's the one that put him out of the country. If there's one thing that Saul should have been certain of, it was to not seek those type of people for these type of answers that only come from the Lord. But listen, when we're desperate, that's where we are very, very vulnerable to compromising areas we know better. You see, some of you have made knowing God's will an idol in your life. I just want to know God's will. I just, I need to know, uh, uh, I need to know what God wants for me in this certain area. And what you're really looking for is certain directives in a certain direction that you should go in life. And for some of you in seeking God's will, it has absolutely paralyzed you. I think this is an important point for us to understand that it's possible for us to be seeking God's will and not actually seeking God himself. Listen, when you seek God first, when you seek him and who he is, listen, his will will be revealed to you. Maybe not in the form, in the fashion, in the way, in the time in which you want, but as you seek God, you will know his will. You say, how, how can you be so sure of that? Because as you seek God, you will understand his heart. And as you understand God's heart, you understand his will for your life. You're saying, but Kyle, I, I've sought the Lord. I've sought him, but I don't know whether to make a right turn or a left turn here. God may be quiet on that, but God will never be quiet on who he is and his heart for you and toward you and from you. There are very clear things that we can be certain about that are God's will for our life. Like Saul, the kind of clarity that he had to go, listen, you shouldn't go to a medium. You shouldn't go to a necromancer. That is not God's will. But what does Saul do? He's desperate. He takes matters into his own hands. And what's interesting is where also it says the Bible, where the Bible says that this uh, medium is located. It's the medium, look at verse, the end of verse seven. Behold, there's a medium at Endor. Now, geographically, Endor would have been located behind where the Philistine armies would have been. So get this, Saul sees the Philistine armies. He's terrified, okay, because he sees them mounting up. But what he chooses to do is to go around them or possibly even through them to get to the medium behind them to figure out God's will. That just blows my mind. Rather than sitting patiently, waiting on God, hearing God's voice and calling Saul into repentance, he decides to take matters into his own hands and actually make a, the most risky move in going through the Philistines to this medium. So how do we seek God's will and way in our lives, Kyle? What's the right channel? Is it dreams, prophets, in these two stones? You're like, where can I get a pair of those stones, right? Like, that would be really nice. This is Old Testament, folks. 
we have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God and the Word of God. How do we know who God is? Through his word, by the power of his Holy Spirit in his church, the community of the saints. That's how we know God's will. That's how we know and experience who God truly is. And so Saul, ironically, is forced to reach into death itself to get answers for what's going on in life. And I want to warn some of you. I think this passage is full of warnings. Some of you are willing, and some of you maybe are even participating in that kind of way, reaching into death itself to get answers for life. And you say, death? The Bible, one of the descriptions it uses of sin, always, is what? Death. You're going to means and measures that you know produce death to give solutions in life. And let me tell you, it never works. So Saul, verse eight and nine, it says, Saul disguised himself and put on garments. Now this could be for two reasons. Uh, He doesn't want the person to recognize him. It could be because he has to go through the Philistines, so he's dressed up and just like, maybe like a crazy man, just kind of, you know, wandering through there. But he's dressed up and he approaches this medium, right? And as, as she sees him, she can't tell who he is. Like, side note, like if she can't see through the costume, right? You're gonna ask her to see into the, like, dead? Like I would have been like, I'm out, you know? You can't tell that I'm standing before you, but I'm asking you to go and, 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 and summon the dead. But anyway, Saul, Saul does that, okay? And she goes, surely you know what Saul has done to us. Surely you know how he's cast us out. And then Saul does something so profound here. The Lord he was just inquiring of, the Lord he was just seeking, needing an answer from, needing affirmation from, he uses his name in vain. Look at this in verse 10. But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as sure as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. In our teach team meeting, one of, one of our, our guys who helps us study, Michael, he was like, I wonder how many Ten Commandments Saul broke in just this chapter, right? Like here he's swearing on the Lord's name, nothing bad shall happen to you. Now this, for the medium, should have sparked something and go, who are you to promise that? Saul thinks he has the power to promise what the Lord is going to do. He can't even figure it out for himself, but he's promising it to her. This is what sin does. It blinds us to reality. And so Saul asks her to bring up Samuel. I don't know if you remember Samuel's last conversation with Saul, but it didn't go swimmingly well. Do you remember that? You remember the last time they talked together and Saul reached out in desperation and ripped Samuel's garment and Samuel looks back at Saul and says, just like you've torn my garment, the kingdom is going to be torn from you. And so now Saul has this opportunity and he goes, hey, I need Samuel. Bring Samuel to me. Why Samuel? Because Saul knows Samuel is the only one who has spoken honestly to him about what God has said. And guess what? In this text, as you heard Vivian read it, Samuel says to Saul the same thing he's always said. 
Samuel in this text does not reveal anything new from the Lord, except what's new is this. Saul, your death is coming. He doesn't reveal to him anything that the Lord is going to do or that Saul should do, except that Saul's life is coming to an end. What a tragic scene. I mean, mean, seriously, Saul here. And this is the question I want to lay before us this morning. And I've wrestled with this text. I've had to sit in this text all week. And this is the question that keeps coming back to my heart. How did we get here? How did we get here? How did we get to this scene where Saul, the king of Israel, is dressed up, not hearing from the Lord? He can't hear the Lord's voice. So what he does is he takes matters into his own hands to seek out a medium, to seek death, to give him answers for life. How did we get here? And the answer to that is this, that this chapter really is a culmination of what we've been seeing building with Saul over the last 27 plus chapters. That Saul got to this place by the slow deterioration, one compromise after another compromise of his character and his integrity. You see, when we begin to compromise in small areas of our lives, hear me, we inevitably set in motion a pattern that will lead to more compromise. Read James in your New Testament, chapter one, verse 15 about sin. When those desires give way, they grow and they grow. And it says when they're fully grown, give way to death. How did we get here? This is the culmination of small deterioration over time. Think about it. Saul settling for partial obedience. Remember chapter 15 of 1 Samuel? This is just essentially the playing out of chapter 15. Samuel calls that this is going to occur because of Saul's disobedience. You remember that scene where he says, listen, your rebellion is like the act of divination? Here we go. Saul's partial obedience that he calls good in worship in every single chapter. The one that Samuel in this chapter points to is the one from chapter 15, where Saul does not wipe out the Amalekites. He takes some for himself. He keeps back the king Agag for himself. Or how about Saul valuing expedience over patience? This happens time a time again in Saul's life, is that he goes halfway with the Lord. He does what the Lord says, maybe up to 90%. Saul is always taking the route as well, not of patience, not of waiting upon the Lord. He inquires of the Lord, but if the Lord does not answer on his timetable, guess what? He takes matters into his own hands. He is more about expedience than faithful patience before the Lord. Listen, what does Galatians 5 tell us? One of the fruit of the spirit looks like love, joy, peace. Yeah, you know that one? It's okay to say it. Patience. Another word, long-suffering. Saul is not willing to sit with the Lord and suffer. Many of you understand that. And that's what makes Saul vulnerable to this moment. The third thing, how did we get here? Saul constantly is fearing the wrong thing. 
You see that again highlighted in this text. He's fearing the Philistines more than he's fearing, fearing the silence of God and what that means in his life. Fear is the motivating factor of nearly everything Saul does. Fear of losing power, position, popularity. Fear of losing people. I want to look at 1 John 4 that speaks about fear. Fear is an indicator. Fear, and I would also say um, insecurity, is an indicator of something. And here's what 1 John says. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. We know that one. We like that one. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. When 1 John talks about love, it has a person in mind. And that person is Jesus. Jesus is the perfect love that casts out or, or reorients our fear in a proper place. And so what it just says there is whoever, fear, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So fear could possibly be an indicator of your disconnectedness with the perfect love, with the Father. For Saul, his misdirected fears should have been an indicator light in his heart of going, listen, something is out of sync here. Something is out of step here, and the same thing is true in our lives. How do we get here? Maybe one small misplaced fear after another. How do we get here? Well, we got here by Saul treating God like a commodity. He was inquiring of the Lord so that the Lord could provide something for him. Affirmation, security that benefited him and his popularity and his power, his prestige, his position. You see, God never tells us that we won't fail at anything. What God tells us that in all things, whether success or failure, that he alone will sustain us. And the moment we begin to treat God like a commodity, he will have nothing to do with it. I love what Heath Thomas says. Um, he says, God will not be our spiritual pimp. If our only intention in seeking God is avoiding hell after we die, we still do not understand repentance, and we are still Saul. That is exactly how Saul has treated the Lord, chapter after chapter. How did we get here? One small disobedience after another. But let's not maybe forget the crowning jewel of how we got here. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Remember the whole, as we draw this series to an end, remember the whole slide, our subheading of this slide is a search for a king. Searching for a king. And if you remember 1 Samuel chapter 8, when we covered that like 75 weeks ago, um, it was the people of Israel demanding a king from the Lord. And they demanded not just a king, they demanded a king that would make them like what? Like the nations. In chapter 28, while it can be strange and it can be confusing, I think it's actually crystal clear. It's that Israel, Saul particularly, has become like all of the other nations. Seeking the sources, seeking other gods, seeking divination for answers. That Saul has literally handed over his distinctiveness, handed over the distinctiveness of Israel, that they serve the one true God, that he is their God, that he alone is the one that they worship. He has handed that over. Meanwhile, again, you have David who is exiled. 
You have the one true king that God is raising up. Where is he? He's outside of Israel, exiled with the presence of God. And so get this juxtaposition. You have Saul in Israel without the presence of God. Um, I want to pause here because I think this idea of divination, this idea of mediums and necromancers, it's maybe caused some of your eyebrows to raise. You know, what's going on here? Samuel coming back from the dead um, and talking. Um, I love what John Piper says about divination, about these kind of things. Um, he says that divination is turning away from the counsel and wisdom of God to another source for how you should go in life. That at the most basic level is what Saul is doing here. And we are not exempt as a people and for sure as a culture of turning away from the counsel and wisdom of God to go to another source. I don't know if you have noticed, as I have, even in our hyper-context of McKinney, Texas, even in our more hyper-localized context of downtown McKinney, Texas, as you drive in on Virginia and you'll see signs for psychics, card readers, you'll see things emphasizing crystals and other ways for the purpose of seeking counsel seeking ways in which people should go in their lives. Let me tell you, that is seeking a source that God has warned us and told us to stay away from. That includes astrology. That includes uh, horoscopes, seeking out fortune tellers and all of those things. The Lord is warning some of you, some of you who are tiptoeing in that, some of you who maybe find yourself fully submerged in those things to run from those that the outcome of those do not lead to life, they lead to death. Or other things that find themselves with roots in Eastern mysticism or other religions, Hinduism, or maybe a, a movement around this, this idea of, of holistic medicines. And again, before you type me an email, um, <laughs> hear me. I am not dismissing all holistic medicine. I am simply saying, as the people of God, we should have our eyes wide open to discern and to understand what is going on. That when people begin to use words like certain energies or releasing certain energies or to posture and position ourselves to empty ourselves, that we as the people of God should have bells going off in our hearts to understand what is actually being said. Listen, I am not fulfilling my duty as a pastor if I don't warn us of the very real and pervasive thing going on in our culture that we have a soil, we, we have a soil within our own lives and within our culture that is absolutely ripe for this kind of thing. Because in all of those things, guess who's in control? You are. Guess what we love in our heart of hearts? Control. Let me tell you, that's why people would seek crystals for healing or for wholeness or for cleansing. Listen, it's not just the control aspect. Some of you, you're simply exhausted 
Maybe because you've had a physical ailment or you've been, you've been suffering in some kind of way or you've been seeking some kind of answer and you are desperate and you are so desperate that you will seek any means and measures to find an answer. And let me tell you, when you take any means and any method to seek an answer, you will find an answer. Saul found an answer. And I'm just warning you. I'm warning you and I'm begging and pleading with you to patiently wait before the Lord, Christian. To understand that he's working in spite of you not seeing that working. That the invisible hand of God is moving. But let me tell you something else, McKinney, that makes us susceptible to this. Is materialism. Our materialism, our affluence. Our affluence makes us susceptible to this because guess what? We can exhaust every option. We, and for some of you, you have everything, but yet in your heart of hearts, you're still wrestling and you're going, what don't I have? I literally have everything material I need, I want, or what I could even dream about having. I could have it, but I still have this gnawing and this ache, so I must seek it through these means of spiritual channels. That makes us susceptible. Our materialism. And another thing I think is just this growing level of skepticism. That we are absolutely, and this is probably because of our volume of information, we are skeptical of everything. Everything. And so I say those as a, a warning. A loving warning to your heart and to my heart. But I don't want to end with a warning. I want to end with a plea for mercy. You see, the end of this text, verse 20 to 25, is this incredibly tragic scene with Saul where he realizes what he has done. He realizes the word of the Lord to him through Samuel. He falls on his face and it's like he can't get off of the ground because he's been leveled. And it says in verse 21, the woman came to Saul and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, behold, your servant has obeyed you. I've taken my life into my hands and have listened to what you have said. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. So this other voice speaking to Saul. In verse 23, she, she's offering him food. In verse 23, Saul refuses to eat food. He says, I will not eat. But his servants together with the woman urged him and he listened to their words. Verse 18, Samuel to Saul, why are you in this situation? Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord. Whose voice in this text is Saul obeying? The author does this intentionally. The voice of this medium. The voice of his servants. And Saul gets up from the posture of being leveled on the ground, not in mercy, but in continued disobedience to have his final how did we get here? One small disobedient step after another. And so let me end like this. Some of you, as we enter into this time of communion, Paul tells us to evaluate our hearts. Some of you are walking in direct disobedience to the Lord. Some of you this morning, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you, you're maybe walking in infidelity. Maybe for you, it's not even infidelity. It's this small little emotional thing. 
Some of you maybe are tiptoeing in the areas that I listed. Some of you maybe are just lying a little bit more. And the Lord this morning is trying to get your attention because Saul's response here at the end should have been one of repentance. When Saul, when Saul saw that he had stepped out of bounds with the Lord, that he was not in step with the Lord, what, if his, what should his response have been? Lord, forgive me. Father, forgive me. What have I done? I have sinned against you and you alone. And let me tell you what the word of the Lord would have been to him. Mercy. If his repentance would have been true. And so let me tell you, as we come before the Lord this morning, and some of you thinking, how did I get here? Some of you are going, how is the whole house on fire? How is my whole life on fire? How, how did we get here? How did I get here? And you'll probably think of one small disobedient step after another. But let me tell you, you're in the right place this morning to hear the word of the Lord. You'll hear the gospel this morning. You see, Paul, I love it, in Ephesians chapter 2, he's talking to a, a, a group of, of, of non-Israelites. He's talking to, to Gentiles, and he says this. He says, remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. And this last line gets me. Having no hope without God in this world. That's Saul. No hope without God. That's where we are. And for some of you, that's what you feel in your heart of hearts. You feel hopeless. You're going, where's God? You feel without God in this world. But praise God for verse 13. What does it say? But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the what? blood of Christ. Leave that verse up there. You who were once far off, you go, Kyle, I still feel far off. Listen, come before the Lord today in repentance and you will find mercy. You say, Kyle, what is repentance? Repentance biblically is this, that the Holy Spirit changes your mind and your heart, thus leading to changing your direction. That's what biblical repentance is. Let the Spirit do his work this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray, God, as we sit here in these moments, that your Spirit would redirect our minds and our hearts toward you. God, for those of us that need to confess sin, may we confess now freely. Father, freedom is available to us in Christ Jesus. Father, just as it was available to Saul and he rejected it, I pray that we would not reject it this morning. Father, for those in here who feel hopeless, for those who feel like they're living life without God, Lord, I pray that they would begin that turn toward you, that they would see the gospel available for them, that we hold these elements, the access we have through the shed blood of Jesus Christ to be forgiven, to be made whole, God, forgive us for taking matters into our own hands, for seeking sources that you call us not to seek. Holy Spirit, you can do more in one minute 
You can do more in one second than we could in a million sermons. And Lord, I pray that you would do it now. Let us obey your voice. God, we've heard your word this morning. Now church, let's just take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. Show us, Lord. Reveal those areas to us, those areas of compromise, those areas of sin, the areas we've handed ourselves over 